Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast, presented by Ragged Foils Productions. I'm your host, Natalie. This is it. This is our final episode of the season, and as it's being released on Halloween, I've saved our spookiest stories until last. Coming up later, veteran voice actor Julia gets more than she expected from a laundry-themed podcast interview in Paul Robbie Stoyle's A Quick Load, and I chat to Paul about his multitude of pathways into writing. Also, keep listening to the end of the episode because I'll be talking about season two. But before all that, it's time for our first piece, Channel by Richard Hearn. Gemma, a sleep-deprived new mother, tries to cope alone while her husband is away. But the sounds coming from the baby monitor are not all they seem. Channel was directed by Bill Thomas and stars Chloe Gilgallen as Gemma. can't take it back to the shop again. They looked at me like I was mad the first time. The Rest Assured 2000 is the leading brand, they said. We've never had this sort of thing before. Well, you're having it now, I said. It switches channels. There's sometimes a baby that isn't mine. They did replace it. I think they just wanted the mad woman out of the shop. I probably looked a wreck. I know I did. I do. It's bad enough trying to get some sleep with just your own child. It's gone. Again. I can't take their faces if I walk back in that shop. They'll probably have me locked up. Oh, Joe, come back! Why do you have to be gone so long? Sorry. I do know why I feel disloyal. You're out there earning money, facing God knows what, but... It's so hard. So bloody hard with a newborn. Relentless. When I was pregnant, I met a mum and I asked, any advice? Three words, she said. Fucking brace yourself. I hardly knew her. She was right, though. You hear of babies that sleep. (laughs) Oh, they sleep right through. (laughs) Really? I so, so hate that one. I just want some sleep. He cries for food every hour at least. All through the night, he never stops. And sometimes, this is why I took the monitor back to the shop, he's crying but not crying. I get there. He's asleep. The monitor has two channels, A and B, different frequencies. It switches on its own. It must be picking up a neighbour's baby. A mother knows, don't they? I know that's a cliché. They sound similar, yes, but the other one does a, what do you call it? Like a hiccup. Every fifth cry or so. 
Joe, forgive me. I know you've had issues with your parents, but I've had to move in. I know you were always dead against it, but it's just for a few days while you're out there on the boat. What did they do that was so... You've been gone longer than normal. I couldn't cope. Your parents invited me. They have a spare room and a room for Billy. Your old room. Come and stay with us. It's not easy with a newborn, especially on your own. Which seemed... kind. But you're right, they are weird. This place is weird. And your old room, when you were a baby... There's even a broken toy in the corner. And amongst that dust is some sort of bear, I think. I'm not sure they've changed much in there at all. And up at the top of the walls, there's some sort of freeze. It's faded over the years. Do you know what I think the pattern is? Sea creatures. They must have known. <laughs> Maybe it created you out there. Maybe this set the spark. Catching stuff, being at sea. The pattern is, oh, let me look. It's octopus, shark, fish? I don't know which one. <laughs> Starfish. If you were here, you'd be looking at this saying, it's not realistic. They'd never be next to each other in a million years. Sea bass, sea bass, cod, sea bass or whatever it is you're out there catching in the English Channel. You'd be saying that was realistic, and I'd be saying, oh, not really much variety, is it, in a child's border? <laughs> I can't believe I'm joking about it. Come back, Joe. I wish you'd been in contact. nursery? Your room? Why didn't they change it into anything? Why didn't they decorate? I've noticed your mum doesn't like talking about you when you were a kid, but when I pushed her, she did say that there was a song that soothed you when you wouldn't sleep. The Sky Boat song. I love that one too. He's crying again. On the monitor. Billy, or, or maybe it's the neighbour's one again. Billy is so sweet in the day. He does that pistoning thing. Arms and legs, ten to the dozen. A little hydraulic machine. Your dad loves it. Your mum doesn't react, but I guess that's the kind of thing you're meaning. Billy grabs hold of stuff. He smiles over <laughs> everything. Music, his own hand. Bake off. You wait till you see. Can you hear him? The other baby. He's doing it now. You can hear him, right? It's not just me, is it? <laughs> it's been two weeks since you sailed, Joe. Why haven't you been in touch? Maybe you've just got a strong haul. <laughs> I know you can't just stop and come back. A strong haul. That's good, isn't it? It's good for us as a family. I do know that. It can make such a difference. Your mum and dad, they don't seem bothered that you're not back. They look at me blankly. Meanwhile, I'm going mad inside. 
I tried to get stuff out of them about you when you were growing up. They look at me like I'm mad. They don't always need you, your mum said the other night, even when they make all that noise. She said you used to hiccup. Not every time. Just every fourth or fifth. <laughs> when you said you wanted to go back out to sea, you said it was for us. All of us. <laughs> for our future. I do know that. I, I just wish you could let us know you were safe. <laughs> Baby's crying again. Not Billy. The other one. The hiccup. I know. I do know. But if I don't say it, it isn't true. I'm here with Richard Hearn, who wrote Channel, which you would have just heard. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. Thank you. How have you found the process so far of being part of it? It's been great. I think when you uh, submit something, it's always a challenge to try and you know work out the criteria and uh, fit to the um, you know fit to the length. And uh, I'm you know I'm really looking forward to hearing it. I'm obviously recording this before hearing it, so yes. uh, it'll be fantastic to hear it. For our listeners, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing background? Okay. Um, well, I, I live in Brighton. I'm with my wife and uh, two kids and a, a, a slightly evil cat. Um, <laughs> in terms of writing, I've recently been sort of working quite a lot on plays. About five years ago, I started writing short plays because there was a, as, as a Brighton group called Cast Iron Theatre who had a you know fantastic opportunity to write uh, stuff for and they put the work on at a local theatre and it was really, really good way of um, sort of seeing your work being uh, enacted and working out whether it works or not and it's a, it's a very professional bunch and that's been a real plus um, so I've probably had about sort of six or seven short plays with them um, over the last few years and that led on to I had a longer play called The Missing Special at a, at a theatre called The Rialto which is a really great independent theatre in Brighton and um, that was by Pretty Villain Productions and they, they did a really fantastic job of, of that play and I was lucky enough to be nominated for the Best New Player Award. So that was, you know, oh, fantastic. I'm very, very pleased. Before that, I wrote, I'm going back about 20 years now, I probably wrote uh, very bad novels. Well, I, you know, I, I thought they were great novels, but quite scattergun sort of novels. And um, I've probably written about four of those. And then between, I'm not really working chronologically, am I? Between That's those two fun. sections, I did also write uh, quite a few magazine articles. And I, and I also wrote a column for a Brighton magazine called Distracted Dad. Yes. So I wrote about 200 of those, I think, over time. Amazing. So a my... proper broad range of fiction and non-fiction. Generally, I've definitely settled down into fiction. So I haven't been writing articles for quite some time. But uh, yeah, it's been nice to have that mixture. Mm. So there was a lot of theatre there that we've been talking about. But 
what about audio drama is this a new area for you to work in or if not how have you found it um in terms of adapting your writing style do you have to adapt your writing style okay so i think i think you probably do have to adapt your writing style um in terms of whether it's a new the new thing i think i've definitely written things over time where i've thought of them as audio plays even if they've ended up being stage plays so mm. i think in terms of adapting i mean obviously I think this, this story channel has been, there's, I think there was a definite texture in the story, hopefully it comes across in terms of things like there's a mixture of the baby monitor or there's uh, a sea theme. So in terms of that, I think there was definitely, there's a sort of intimacy about this story where the main character who, uh, Gemma, is basically listening out. There's the, the different sort of, the way the story is told through sound. In terms of adapting, yeah, I think it's really the sort of proof is in the pudding in terms of I think I've probably worked on things and when when you hear something, it's always good to get that sort of feedback and you it may well be you're thinking, well, that doesn't work so well. But uh, it's definitely thinking of how you tell the story through not just dialogue, but the sort of sounds. And, and I think the texture is the phrase that comes to mind most of, most of all. I've written things in the past which was like a sort of audio museum guide, the sort of things where you pick up when you go to a... Uh, place so they mean mainly sort of comedy pieces but that involves again trying to really think about the media that you're working with mm. and thinking okay these are the limitations but also they're often the opportunities so to try and sort of use that so you're battering against the boundaries that you're given whether it's a stage play or whether it's audio play you're trying to work against those constraints there's quite a lot in channel that is left to the listener's imagination you were going on before about um whether it is sleep deprivation or or these things are really happening um and that that's the kind of vibe you want in horror that's that's great kind of leaving the the listeners slightly disarmed um so how do you go about balancing this making sure the audience knows enough to make their own assumptions and know what's going on roughly but without spoon feeding them and leaving some of that aspect of uh, the horror to their imagination. Yeah, I think, um, would you know what, it's, 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 you never know really until you've heard it or you've seen something performed. Um, and I think for different audience members or whatever, then there's going to be different levels of what people, how much information people do want. I mean, I think one of the things is reading things aloud, redrafting after a bit of a gap is the type of moments where you pick up on how much something conveys or how much whether you've put too much information in or not enough information in so in that stage that's where you would look for that I start off by overwriting and then I try and trim it down and mm -hmm. um, basically normally things improve when you do trim it down and I think part of that is also looking at thinking okay I've worked out that plot aspect for myself so I've written over that plot but do I need to put that in the actual piece or can that be left, you know, as you say, as a slight ambiguity? I think there are certain hints and certain ambiguities. I've almost had a particular moment where I've deliberately left those in, I think. So, yeah, that, that editing, um, that bit is how much you put in, how much you leave out is absolutely crucial in fiction, really. And every time when you do a new piece, you never know whether you've got it right or not. So, yeah, that's all we've got time for. So where can people find you on the internet social media if they want to see more of your work i have a website which i'm very bad at updating which is called <laughs> uh, which is just richardhern.co.uk actually i'll give a quick extra uh, plug for a website that i run called paragraph planet yeah um, and that invites stories of exactly 75 words and one of them is published wow. every day so uh, that's one that people can submit to. But in terms of my own work, I'm on Twitter on as Latest Dad, which is a remnant from my distracted dad days. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also on Instagram. Those are the main places. to find. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much.
And as always, I've popped links to Paragraph Planet in the show notes if you're interested in that. Also coming up very, very soon, this weekend in fact, so sorry if you're not listening on release day, is Scratch at the Jack, a new writing night at the Broccoli Jack Theatre in London on Sunday the 3rd of November at 6pm. The lineup includes two plays from Richard Hearn, who you just heard from, Screen and Junction, and also The Boys from Wishbone Junction, which is a piece by Ben Francis, who you may remember wrote the very first piece we aired in episode one, A Nobel Prize or Your Money Back. Tickets are £8. See the show notes for links. Next up, our final piece of the season is A Quick Load by Paul Robbie Stoyle. An interview with a veteran voice actress takes a sinister turn in this pitch-black, dark comedy. Expect screams, scares and suds. Directed by Kirsty Gilmore, A Quick Load stars Joe Ash as Julia and Andrew Gallo as Jeff. Hello everybody and welcome to The Clothesline, a podcast that seeks to rifle through the dirty washing of celebrity culture and find the dazzling white truth beneath. Today's guest is a veteran of both stage and screen, playing the voice of over 70 cartoon characters in a career that spans over five decades. We have the one, the only, Ms. Julia Bloom. Oh my, giving away my age so soon? How dare you? (laughs) It's fine. You're timeless. More like an old relic. Let's split the difference and call you a seasoned actress. Seasoned? Sounds like some of the items I've brought in with me. I was wondering, what's in your laundry bag today? Well, I thought I'd air a few things from some of my old productions I've been in over the years. Here's a lovely shawl from my days at RADA. And here's a dress I wore as Virginia Woolf at the Old Vic. Perfect. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Now, you've played some memorable characters over the years. Oh, yes. Hedda, Cleopatra, Gertrude. I was thinking more of Sally the Squirrel and Mrs. Mumpty Pumpty. Oh, yes. The TV years. You voiced some highly adored characters in your day. Adored? Oh, please. Seriously. I was wondering which of the characters you played, who do you find most relatable? You mean of the cartoons? Yes. Well, uh, I suppose Sally possessed a certain naive charm. But I really think I relate more to my stage work. You see, as a classical actress, I think... Mumpty Pumpty Castle has just been re-released on Netflix, hasn't it? I wouldn't know, dear. I don't watch television. Did you ever make amends with Hanna-Barbera? Listen, dear, I simply stood in the dark for several hours and squealed into a microphone. That's all. Simply dreadful stuff. Yes, and we're in your basement right now, aren't we? I hope it's not too drab for you, dear. I rarely come down here anymore. Most of my personal items are dry clean only. It's lovely. Really cosy. Excuse me, I just need to grab something for the next segment. By all means. Okay, so this is a bottle of Super Stain Buster, and if at any point you want to dispel a myth or rumour about yourself, all you have to do is take hold of the bottle and shout out, Out Damn Spot! Okay? Excuse me? You just hold up the bottle and say, Out Damn Spot! Why? It's just a gimmick. 
that's not the brand I use. And besides, it's far too heavy. I mean, do I look the sort of person who uses ten gallons of cheap laundry detergent? Sorry, I'm on a tight budget. You don't really expect me to use that stuff, do you? No, not if you don't want to. Thank you, but no. I'll stay with my eco-balls, thank you very much. So you aren't going to say it? Say what? Out damn spot. Uh, I've never said that line in my life, dear. Come on, you must have at some point. You are an actress. Alas, I have never done the Scottish play. But it says on your wiki page... That's all I have to say on the matter. Excuse me, I need some starch. This is The Clothesline with veteran actress Julia Bloom, a fun show where I ask my guests about their dirty laundry habits, soiled secrets and various missing items. So, Julia, what is your earliest laundry memory? Is this thing only about laundry? Do you do a whole show just about laundry? I thought it was something you listened to whilst washing clothes. Then you're confused. Excuse me? Where do you pinpoint your earliest laundry memory? <laughs> Mother used an old wash tub back when I was a girl. We switched to a washing machine later on, of course. Lucky you. I suppose we were lucky to have a few mod cons so soon after the war ended. No, I mean to have a mother who made sure you had nice clean clothes to wear. Oh, I suppose so. I always thought it was a perfectly normal thing to do. Then again, I never had any children of my own. Uh, sorry, I feel like we've gotten off on the wrong foot. I'm just trying to make you feel as comfortable as possible. I thought we were here to talk about my stage career. That's what you said on the telephone. We'll get around to that eventually. When was the first time you did your own laundry? I don't recall. It was probably sometime in the early 60s. So there was no confusion? No, where does the soap go? No, was I going at the right speed? Speed? For the spin cycle. It was all very self-explanatory. Sorry, I do hope you're getting all you need from these questions. Julia, you are known for your larger-than-life characters. Funny, quick, but mostly with a grain of humanity to them. Thank you. That's very kind. I've always wanted to know how you created a character. Well, I make it look easy, darling. But really, you need proper training and experience to flesh out a character correctly. How about a monster? I don't follow. I have always wanted to create a laundry monster. How do you mean? I'd like for you to embody a monster for me right now. For our listeners. Workshop it. Isn't that the right word you theatre guys use? Oh, I couldn't possibly. Sure you can. Thank you, but I don't... No one could bring these characters better to life than you could. Please. For the fans. Are you looking for some sort of voice? Sorry, do you really want me to build a character from scratch? Only if you think you can. What's this character's overall look? I imagine it as a jumble of old, soiled rags. I don't think that's very appealing for children. She's a cautionary figure. Oh. Would she have a face? A human face? Maybe, but definitely no eyes. She's a blind heap of old rags. Yes. What sort of voice comes to you for that image? Uh. 
Something like this? I like that. Sort of uh, stupid, in a way. Yeah, kind of slow. Yeah, really slow and really dumb and really senile. Great. Thank you. So, now that we have a voice, where does this creature come from? I come from Laundry World. No, I don't think so. I think we need to bring out the more human quality to her. Okay. Say that the character was born in a car. By magic. No, what I think what happened was this. There was once a small-time actress who worked in a small-time theatre on the outskirts of a small-time town. And one day, this actress decided to take her little girl to a workshop of Macbeth. You see, at the workshop, there was this big-time famous actress. An actress who did lots of funny voices. Voices for cartoons. But they got into a car accident because the big-shot actress was far too old to be driving. Far too old and blind and senile. So the young actress was in a car accident with her three-year-old daughter by her side. So when that old bat drove right into them, the clothes got splattered in blood and brains, and then the monster was born. Who... who are you? Your dryer's finished, Julia. Get out. Get out of here. Get out of my house. But we haven't finished cleaning up yet. Aren't you going to unload your dryer? Ooh, pretty big dryer you've got there, Julia. Very nice. Would Mother approve? Stop that! Don't pull those clothes out like that. You'll ruin them. Get in the drum, Julia. Get in the drum, Julia. Uh, I couldn't possibly fit in there. Oh, it's very roomy. Big enough for two, I imagine. I, I can't. I I'm nearly 80 years old, for God's sake. Get in. No. Stop. Wait. I didn't know. I didn't see them. Wait a moment. Oh, thank God. I nearly forgot the stain remover. Please. No. Not bleach. Please. Here's the smell of blood still. All the perfumes of Arabia will not sweeten this little hand. Wasn't that your line, Julia? Please. Please, don't. Don't shut the door. I didn't realise. Did you think about that line when you left them for dead? When my little girl's head lay crushed in a pile of old stinking dresses, did you think all the perfumes of Arabia could wash away what you did? There was ice on the road. I, I couldn't miss them. Please, please don't shut that door. Please. Please. What's that line in that play? What does Lady M say when Macbeth finally stabs the king? <laughs> ah, yes. A little water clears us of this deed. <laughs> I'm here with Paul Robbie Stoyle, who wrote a quick load that our audiences will have just listened to. Hi, Paul. Welcome to the Ragged Scratch podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your writing background? Yeah, sure. Well, I've been writing for about three years. It all started when I was a drama graduate. And like many drama graduates and acting graduates, you kind of realise, oh, I've got a very limited range. I'm going to be playing the, the gay best friend or the geek best friend. So I uh, got a bit disillusioned with that, really. And my course was very focused on live art. I was like, oh, fantastic. I can be a live artist. And I was living in Cambridge at the time. 
and there was a lot of platforms for that. So I thought, you know what, got to move. Let's go down to Brighton and see what's happening. Mm. And uh, I ended up being, uh, well, they call it a boylesque performer. But it was, oh, probably, yeah. yeah, like a cabaret stripper, basically. So uh, as you know, akin in that world. So it's a very kind of gig economy. And I loved it. I did it for about two and a half years. But I was also doing that and doing a day job. Uh, managing a chocolate shop <laughs> I was working crazy hours during Christmas and then stripping in the night and I was running myself ragged and I was on about four cans of monster a day to keep my energy up um, and the overheads with stripping are crazy high because you're not getting paid very much or sometimes if they don't pay at all mm. um, and you've got to pay for your own props and costumes and of course that means making them half the time and mm. things break very easily and then you've got your travel expenses so even though I met some fascinating people and I've got some great stories out of it it, it wasn't fulfilling me as such so I nailed that and uh went into a bit of a stoop really it's like I was like okay so I've done this I've tried this what else could I do so one day I just started writing because I was temping at the time Mm. and uh, I was listening to these BBC horror shows and I thought oh bloody hell this is really naff I bet I could write a better (laughs) one so yeah like many writers it's I think I can do better so I started writing so I do little bits and bobs and I started entering for local scratch nights and then people really seem to like the stuff I do because it was on the cusp of horror but it had a little bit it had a dark vein of comedy running through it I thought oh I've got a niche here so I've just been working at it ever since really amazing yeah I love dark comedy and uh comedy horror as well so is that a a signature genre for you then or do you write across a range uh i've been trying to expand to do little bits and pieces i've been trying to do more dramatic works more abstract things but uh it's always the horror stuff that gets people interested Mm. which at the end of the day i don't mind that's fair enough if you want to read and produce my work fabulous but i wouldn't limit myself to just one thing and how about audio? Is that a typical medium for you to write in? Or or if not, how did you find the process of adapting your style to audio? Uh, I think because I started off uh, listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of things on YouTube as well, while I was doing my temp work, things like Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and all that thing. Mm. So it kind of subconsciously um, leaked into my mind, basically. So when I was writing it, just little tiny things that, it's kind of changing your perspective. So uh, being aware of the five senses as such and trying to describe them. So you can use sound effects to want to a better effect, like dripping taps or creaking stairs and stuff like that to set your scene. But for the majority of the action, it's knowing the little tricks like, oh, I see the doors opening or yeah. oh, look at her coming towards me with that strange, suspicious look or kind of things like that. You can learn a lot of things through things like the BBC Writers Room. That's a very, very good source of material. And a lot of the time, it's just, it's good dialogue, basically. It's good Mm. canter between characters and what they're saying and what they're not saying in the subtext. Final question. If you could personally interview a veteran voice actor, hopefully without the murderous intent, who (laughs) would you interview? Right. Been thinking about this one all day. And I probably would do uh, Mel Blanc. Yeah. Yeah, Mel Blanc. uh, A classic. So he... For anybody who doesn't know, he did the voices for all the male 
Warner Brothers cartoons, all the Looney, uh, Looney Tunes. Yeah. Uh, so your Daffy Ducks and your Bugs Bunnies. Uh, and what I loved, Daffy Duck was a favorite character of mine when I was a little kid. And um, the genius of Mel Blanc is he could do Daffy Duck, but he could do Daffy Duck doing an impersonation of Mel Brooks or Carmen mm. Miranda. Mm. So to get that, that layering up of characterization, genius. Yeah, it's amazing. And they, they always say like, uh, for people who are thinking about going into voiceover, they've been told that they have a nice voice. That's great. But if you want to do voiceover for character work, for animation, for video games, for audio dramas, it's not just can you do this voice, can you do this accent, but can you do that character when they're angry, when they're sad, when they're terrified, when they are doing an impression of someone else. It's it's not just can you do your Homer Simpson impression, it's can you do everything and more that Homer Simpson would ever need to do. And obviously Mel Blanc was genius at it, one of the uh, the forefathers of it. Fantastic choice. Thank you very much. And if I was going to bring it back to British shores, I think David Jason. Yeah, mm. David Jason is always at the forefront of my mind. And uh, especially the work he did in the uh, later part of the 80s, the kind of the Count Ducula, uh, Danger Mouse, all that kind of, those yeah. classic cartoons really have stayed with me basically and I think it's kind of uh influence a quick load basically that's the the work I envision the character of Julia doing but yeah. of course she's quite disdainful about the whole thing she's become a bit of a snob in her dotage mm. fantastic okay well thank you very much for being on the podcast where can people find you online do you have a website what's your twitter yeah, so that's Paul Stoyle for the Twitter, at Paul Stoyle. And as for a website, uh, if you put in Zen Pens, I run a monthly and bi-monthly silent writer's retreat in Cardiff. Oh, uh, hopefully to expand into Bristol, Swansea, and anywhere else that fancies having me. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Thank you very much, Paul. You're very welcome. Thank you. That's it from us for a little while. I hope you've enjoyed this season and I really hope you're keen to hear more because we're keen to keep going and make more. I've said before that the response to this project has been fantastic and I'm excited to help build a community of creatives and provide people with an opportunity to test their skills. We'll be taking a little break in November, but we will be back in the new year to record season two with all new pieces. Speaking of, if you're a writer who would like to apply to have a short piece produced for the podcast, an actor who would love to get involved and perform, or a director who would like to take on the challenge of working on a piece or two in our very quick style, then keep a BDI on our social media accounts in December, because that's when we'll be opening up submissions. In the meantime, thank you once again to all the creatives involved in the production of this series for donating their time and hard work, and particularly to Kirsty Gilmore, without whom this project would be of a much lower quality and might not ever have happened. The Ragged Scratch podcast was brought to you by Ragged Foils Productions. It was produced and hosted by me, Natalie Winter. Recording and play edits by Kirsty Gilmore. The Ragged Scratch podcast theme music was composed by Alex Jones. You can find us online at Ragged Foils across Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, where we've been tagging this week's creative so you can find out more about them and their work. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do go to rate, review and subscribe as it will help other people find the podcast. And we'll see you again in the new year for season two.